0: Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, as I have unfortunately come to learn, is a terrible disease with no cure. Some exciting treatments are on the horizon, but the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, its Office of Neurosciences, which has the task of overseeing the development of new ALS drugs in the U.S., has repeatedly failed to take aggressive steps to greenlight these experimental therapies. I and others like me desperately need the FDA's neurosciences office to be more aggressive in approving experimental drugs. This might sound like wishful thinking, or it might sound like the naivete on the part of someone who does not understand the rigors of the drug approval process. But I know from my work as a childhood cancer specialist for the last 45 years, that the agency is capable of doing better.
1: That was William Woods reading from his first opinion essay, As a pediatric cancer researcher, I admired the FDA. Then I got ALS. Bill is a pediatric oncologist and the former director of the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Chief of Pediatric Hematology, Oncology, and Bone Marrow Transplantation at Emory University in Atlanta. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Angus McCauley, COO of STAT, here to discuss how medicine
0: shortages represent an urgent public health crisis. But it's a crisis that we can fix. I'm joined by Eric Edwards, president and CEO of Flow, to discuss how the company is
1: reimagining essential medicine production in the U.S. Thanks, Angus. When Americans visit their doctor or go to a hospital, they expect that the medicines they have to rely on each and every day will be available. Unfortunately, some of our country's most vital medications have experienced shortages that have persisted for years due to a poorly designed global supply chain. Our nation's over-reliance on foreign sources for many of our essential medicines has left the United States vulnerable and resulted in overworked and understaffed health systems. To overcome this challenge, Flow is reshoring the production of essential medicines using the power of advanced manufacturing processes right here at home. For more information on this issue, visit www.flow-usa.com. That's www.phlow-usa.com. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. We are back from a summer break and raring to go for another season. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion. Stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. Bill, thank you for taking the time to join us to launch the next season of the First Opinion Podcast.
0: I'm honored to be here with you, Pat.
1: I really appreciate you sharing your story about being diagnosed with ALS, and I'm sorry it's one you need to be telling from a personal perspective. Thank you. What was your first inkling that something was amiss with your health?
0: Yeah, In retrospect, um, I realized um, um, as a very active um, athlete, if you will, uh, running, swimming, uh, biking, that um, I was losing coordination Hmm. um, as well as some strength. Um, So some difficult hills when I was on a bike became hard uh, to climb. And I found myself one day, um, and this is about um, almost a year before I was diagnosed, I was turning a corner on a street that I knew well, and all of a sudden I didn't have the coordination to keep in the middle of the road, and I ran into a pole. Wow. So, little things. Um, I can know... Um, years ago, I fig- I couldn't use chopsticks anymore. I didn't have the hand coordination, and I chalked it all up to old age. But now, I believe in retrospect, it was probably the beginning of the ALS.
1: So, some, some conditions take a long time to diagnose. Was that the case for you, or was it quick and cut and dried?
0: Well, um... I am fortunate I have a son who is an adult doctor. I'm still in uh, training um, to become an oncologist, but he suspected that something was wrong because my clumsiness um, all the time just raised a red flag for him. And he told my wife, something's wrong with dad. And he he didn't say this to me, but he suspected ALS. And um, after I took a very nasty fall, um, actually visiting him in Boston, and I tore two ligaments in my thumb, he insisted that I see a neurologist. Um, and after that, I saw a general neurologist, and she um, actually quite quickly referred me to the neuromuscular
1: people. How old were you when this was happening?
0: I was 72. 72. Which is old for ALS.
1: It, it usually comes on earlier.
0: It does. I think, um, um, it more like, um, the mid to upper fifties, um, but it's got a very wide range. And I have now met, um, um, a lot of other folks with ALS, um, who have become friends. And uh, one of those is also a pediatric oncologist. Um, that a good friend of mine um knew about who practiced at uh children's National in washington, and he's forty forty one when he was diagnosed with two little kids. Wow, I feel very fortunate it's very interesting, and I don't know how much of this is actually what happens physically or whether it's mental, but I notice a drop in something um uh an example. Um, four or five months ago, my wife and I would walk a mile and a half to two miles every day. Today, it's a struggle to walk um, a half a mile. That seemed to happen very suddenly. Um, uh, when that happens, um, it's very hard. Um, you know, you, it, the, 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 the disease is right in front of one's face. Um, and then, but in my case, and again, I don't know how much of this is mental or physical. I seem to reach a plateau, a new plateau. And with time, I accept, well, that's just who I am uh today. Um And, um, you know, three or four months later, I'll have another drop. Um, and it'll be tough for a little bit, and then I will acclimate. Um, My disease came on very slowly, and since the diagnosis has progressed slowly, um, but some people, um, it becomes devastating very rapidly.
1: You know, some or many listeners may know of ALS through the ice bucket challenge that was once so popular on social media. Can you briefly describe the condition for people who really don't know much about it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. And of course it was known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, and um, most of us growing up in America uh, who follow baseball at all know who Lou Gehrig is. Um, it's a condition in which the the nerves that control your the muscles of your of active movement as opposed to, passive muscles such as your diaphragm, which you don't think about, um, uh, the nerves die, and that leads to muscle loss, Um, and it can affect one in many, many ways. Um, Sometimes it affects the breathing muscles um, in the chest, um, and people present with problems breathing. Hmm. Others, more commonly like me, and um, develop uh, muscle loss in arms and legs, um, which leads to the incoordination or um, just inability to do things that one uh, couldn't do before. Um, it can cause things like a dropped foot, where all of a sudden you can't raise your foot, um, And then finally in others, it affects what's called the bulbar reason, which is um, in your throat, and you start having trouble handling secretions or swallowing or or speaking, and that's actually the most serious form because it eventually affects your breathing.
1: And you mentioned earlier that this is a progressive disease. Yes. It it may go in fits and starts, but it's always going in one direction.
0: Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. And virtually everybody who has ALS dies from the disease. I mean, it's 100% mortality unless something happens from some other condition or a car accident in between.
1: So with in terms of research and drug approval, that means for everybody, time is of the essence.
0: That is Correct. Um, and unfortunately, probably until the ice bucket challenge, um, um, there ha- had been, through my eyes as an oncologist, a minimum amount of research being done to develop new drugs. And it's my understanding that at the current time, there are only two approved drugs by the FDA uh, for this condition. Um and one of them is controversial. the other right. one most of us um uh, are on um it's called rilazol, and it improves survival by three months three months uh that is a sad, sad situation
1: in your essay, you singled out an experimental drug for a l s known as AMX0035, which is being developed by a company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I think, Amelix Pharmaceuticals. It's a combination of two drugs that already exist. One is approved by the FDA for um, uh, buildup of, of urea in the bloodstream, and another is improved, is approved for another liver indication. And both of these, since they're FDA-approved, have already been deemed to be safe. Where is this thing in the pipeline? Right.
0: Well, first of all, um, one is FDA approved. I'm not sure about the other, Pat.
1: Well, the other is a a dietary supplement. I was reading this morning that it has been approved for some um, bile acid disease. Oh,
0: okay. All right. Well, you're teaching me here, which is great. (laughs) The history of this drug is that Uh, Two Brown University undergrads um, were sitting around chewing the fat. Um, uh, I think they were working on their honors theses in biology. Um, And I don't know how they picked ALS. I think they actually picked a lot of neuromuscular diseases, such as Parkinson's, um, which is much more common than ALS, um, but is in the same class of diseases. Um, and that the, both of these drugs, um, are, um, uh, active against what's called oxidation. Um, and they hypothesized that these two drugs in combination, um, uh, might make a difference. Um, they attack different parts of the cell, if you will. And, um, and they hooked up with people in Boston at, at Harvard um, who uh, had an animal model for things like ALS and lo and behold, uh, quite a surprise to everybody, um, it worked. Um, And then they did this fantastic trial where they tried uh, the two drug combo um, against placebo in patients with ALS um, and the results were striking. Um, not only did it dramatically slow the progression, which, by the way, is a great intermediate endpoint. Um, there's, is a, um, a test. Um, it's a functional assay that measures, uh, things like, um, can you roll over in bed? Um, can you get out of bed? Can you dress yourself? tremendous correlation with survival, no surprise. This study was so impressive that the New England Journal of Medicine um, published the results. The follow-up studies published um, a year or so later showed that in fact, um, based on what they had hy- hypothesized, based on the, the slowing of the progression, Seems to improve survival between 10 and 18 months.
1: Wait, did you say improve survival?
0: By 10 to 18 months. That is a home run. And somebody who has three years to live, um, and the dr- drug that we're all taking improves survival by three months. I mean, one year, all of a sudden now we're talking. Yeah, this is, this is great stuff.
1: You know, the the crux of your first opinion essay is that the FDA's Oncology Center of Excellence, which you've worked with for years, has done a good job of expediting new drugs. But its Office of Neuroscience has taken a more tentative approach. How does the Oncology Center for Research operate and do such a good job?
0: Right. Um, And I so I know uh, still a whole lot more about the oncology side of the FDA than I do um, the neurosciences side, um, I think almost 20 years ago, they hired a practicing adult oncologist by the name of Richard Paster. um The guy's a genius. Um, he's incredibly well-loved because he realized it was just at the time when the molecular revolution was starting, which was started by Nixon's war on cancer. Mm. You know, it took 30 or 40 years to get to the point where it led to the development of novel agents that actually molecularly target, you know, molecules, um, proteins or whatever in a cell's body um, to try to alter the course of certain cancers. Um, uh, Dr. Pastor realized that we had to have a faster way to get these novel agents out to the general public. And, um, I don't really know the history of it, uh, but somewhere along the line, the FDA developed a process called accelerated approval. And what that means is, is that they, um, lessen the rigor a bit in appro- approving drugs now the drugs still have to be safe but the efficacy can be based on what are called intermediate endpoints and so the drugs are um allowed uh, are approved and allowed to be marketed with the caveat that the drug company will gather information and um And every six months, I believe, share it with the FDA to find out whether, in fact, the drug is saving lives or not. I am aware of some drugs that have been approved with the hope that they would increase survival by three months. Again, um, if I were 80 and I had pancreatic cancer and my chances of surviving were... um, a year, um, which is about correct. Um, three months sounds pretty good. Um, and again, they these they're doing this for life-threatening diseases. Okay, this is not the common cold. You know, we and again the mechanisms for measuring safety are still very much in place. Um, So as a clinical researcher, we constantly weigh um, uh, benefits versus risks Um, and and risks in this case are side effects of medicines.
1: And it it sounds as though people faced with a life-threatening disease for which there's no treatment or a minimal treatment are more willing to take on a risk in a clinical trial than somebody who's entering a clinical trial to see if it lowers their cholesterol.
0: Yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, and, uh, and that's where, you know, we talk about risk-benefit ratio. Um, that's where, you know, um, it, if the benefits are huge, i.e. save lives. Um, It's um, easier to take risks.
1: So in your essay, you were gently chiding the FDA to get on the ball here. Have you heard anything uh, from anybody at the FDA since we published the essay a few weeks ago?
0: No, not directly uh, from the FDA. Well, with one exception, I have a dear friend who is a pediatric oncologist um, who works in the oncology division. And I have kept him abreast the whole way. And he he really liked it, but nothing from the neuroscientists uh, folks. Now, um, they made a decision before I published my essay, based on the new data that suggested that survival is improved by this drug, to call a second meeting of an advisory committee, an external advisory committee made up of practicing neurologists who take care of patients with ALS, but are also clinical researchers, to re-review the data. Um, Initially in March, I believe, they looked at the data and the advisory committee doesn't make the decision, but they voted six to four against approving it. It's very unusual to have a second meeting of the advisory committee. It's next
1: week. That meeting is going to happen a few hours after this podcast goes live. Oh, no Um, kidding. So the timing is is really wonderful. When you were writing this, you mentioned that you were hoping to testify at that meeting. Is that going to happen? Yes, it is. Oh, very Uh, cool.
0: Yeah, I was uh, fortunate enough to raise my hand early enough um, and I wrote a couple sentences because I believe that my perspective is a bit unique. Given my expertise in clinical trials, albeit in ch- kids with cancer, I think that I have a little more insight than the average person with ALS. C-
1: can you give us a preview, or are you sworn to silence? <laughs>
0: It's a public meeting, and I am (laughs) definitely not sworn to silence. Um, By the way, they uh, say you can submit a written testimony beforehand, and the only thing I submitted um, was the article that you published in STAT.
1: Oh, cool. Thank you for doing Um, that.
0: I thought, you know, I think I uh, was succinct. And I think I said what I wanted to say in that. And I'm going to play off of that. They only give us three minutes, um, unless there are a lot less people. The last time it was flooded with people. And, um, you know, they went way over the one hour or so that they allow for it. So I don't know, but I would suspect that it will be crowded again. A lot of interest in this drug and in this disease. In your work
1: um with kids and cancer, did you have to be an activist before? Did you have to go to the big show at the FDA and uh, and testify in a sort of um, educational activist role?
0: No. Um, and frankly, I don't think very many of my colleagues, uh, especially senior early on, um, had to do that either. Um, and... Uh, Interestingly, there, um, you know, the other regulatory body is the National Cancer Institute. Our funding for this large cooperative group, um, again, now 200 people, is funded by the NCI. And they would rigorously review all of the protocols that we used to set up the next clinical trial. That I'm very familiar with because I sat on the leukemia lymphoma um, advisory committee for the NCI, not the FDA, for years and years, you know. And we're talking about a lot of smart cookies around the table who were trying to decide whether it made sense um, the way a study was um, was designed. Um, so um, certainly... Um, A lot of interaction with the NCI. Um, They work in concert with the FDA, but at least in kids. Um, My impression is is that the FDA would cede to the NCI, um, who really had the expertise in childhood cancer.
1: You know, this may be something you've thought about or haven't thought about, but does is it is it easier to be an activist about cancer than it is about something like ALS which maybe a lot of people don't know about yeah it, yes
0: i'm sure it is certainly in kids it is um you know I, uh, I pat i don't know if you have kids um three three there you go there's nothing more precious um, you know, all of us would easily give up our lives for our kids. I have I have two sons. Um, and um, picture a ball-headed kid from the chemotherapy and talk about heart rendering. It's an e, I put this in quotes, it's an easy sell. Um, because all of us want to help kids.
1: Bald-headed guys like you and me don't elicit that same kind <laughs> of uh, <laughs> response, do they?
0: <laughs> no, 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 we don't. Um, you know, in our case, it's an excess of testosterone that does this.
1: <laughs> well, you, you wrote in your essay that you, quote, dove into the literature to see what treatments were on the horizon. Is that your MO for encountering something new? Turn to the literature, see what you can find. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, um, you know, I spent my whole career taking care of kids with cancer. Um, and the, and I had a number one goal was to do everything you can to cure those kids. I mean, we really, in almost every childhood cancer cure is the goal. And cure doesn't mean, um, the, the American Cancer Society's statistic of living five years. We want kids to grow up and have their own kids to worry about. And so, yeah, um, and as part of that, I mean, the wonderful thing about being a physician is that you balance science with humanity. Um, and, um, and it, 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 was, it is part of my MO. Uh, at least in pediatric oncology, that I'll do everything I can to um, look in the literature and see what's what's new. So I did that with ALS.
1: You're and you're doing that at a new level right now. It sounds like balancing science not only with humanity writ large, but your own personal situation. How, is that a difficult thing to do, or easy, or it,
0: again it? Uh, For me, it falls, just falls into a pattern of uh, what I did for 40 years. It's just changing uh, the name of the disease. Hmm. Um, yes, there are times when it's difficult. Um, um, again, um, compared to other individuals with ALS, since my disease is progressing relatively slowly and I'm older, I've had an incredibly fulfilling life. Um, it probably doesn't affect me as much as other people, but yes, there are times when it's when I'm looking at this and saying, "This is as scary as anything."
1: Or unfair.
0: Life is not fair. Sometimes the fast gazelle is in the wrong place, and the lion catches them. True. So, Bill, are you still working? Uh, no. Well, yes and no. I'm not being paid to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling, yes.
0: <laughs> but um, uh, they were kind enough to let me keep a small office. Um, and I probably work the equivalent of a day a week, some of it there, but most of it at home on a computer. Um, but I am still involved nationally, with um, um, a disease in which I had played an active role for years, a kind of leukemia called acute myeloid leukemia, which is more common in adults, AML. Um, but um, I'm lucky because I have a lot of friends there who still appreciate that maybe there is some wisdom left um, in this bald-headed brain of mine.
1: That's got to be great for mental health. It is I understand that you recently took a family trip to Alaska. What was that like?
0: Yeah, it was incredible. Um, one of my close friends here's his son, um, married a native Alaskan, and um, the wedding was in Kenai. Um, my wife and I had done the inland passage on a cruise ship and had so had seen um, the exterior, if you will of uh, Alaska, but it was wonderful to see the interior um, and we had a wonderful time. Beautiful.
1: Bill, I hope that um, your advocacy pays off with many more trips for you and your wife and your family and for others with ALS.
0: Thank you. And uh, Pat, I very much appreciate your sensitivity um, and compassion uh, for me and for others with the disease.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. I am so happy to be back with another season of the First Opinion podcast. Thank you for listening. The podcast is produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners. Please let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well as we continue to navigate the realities of COVID and the white water ahead.